Welcome to Domestic Affairs, curated audio stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Nicholas Harder, in partnership with KCSF, broadcasting each week a reminder of a past replete with mismanaged marriage, mysterious murders, and blatant misogyny. Today we'll be hearing A Dream of a Scheme by the team at Theater 5, originally broadcasted January 20th, 1965. You killed her! You strangled her because you couldn't stand her any longer! We have one witness who heard a scream and two witnesses who saw you drag a trunk out and bury it. We'll find that trunk and we'll find her in it. Theater 5 presents A Dream of a Scheme. Johnson, get the men busy with the jackhammer. Okay, Sergeant. How much do you want them to dig up? The whole cellar, if necessary. Right. Okay, men, get set up over there in the corner. Yeah, that looks like a good spot. Uh, You, Mr. Warren, you and me will go upstairs and talk some more. We certainly will, Sergeant. I have plenty to say to you. Then lead the way. All right. Now we can talk, Mr. Warren. Indeed we can, Sergeant Littler. And let me say, I protest for the third time, I protest in the strongest possible terms what you were doing. It just so happens I have a search warrant. You showed it to me. That does not justify your digging up my gardens, making trenches in my lawns, ruining shrubs that I have spent years cultivating. I insist that when you have finished this nonsense, you put everything back exactly as it was to the last blade of grass. Well, do just that little thing. As soon as we find your wife's body... I what? Sergeant, you have an obsession. You will never find my wife's body, no matter how much you dig up my premises. Oh, now, why don't we stop beating around the bush? Tell us where she is and we can spare your garden. Stop digging up the bushes and that will spare my garden. I right, never mind the clever comebacks. It's a known fact that you and your wife fought a lot, Mr. Warren, right? Yes, I suppose so. Recently, her temper has become unendurable. I... I suppose our neighbors told you they heard her raised voice night after night, shrieking at me. They certainly did. Especially the Travers next door. The Travers? Those long-eared snoops. My dear sergeant, they quarrel so much themselves, they could hardly have heard me and my wife. Well, they did. All right. All right. We, We quarreled. Though I am a man of the most peaceful disposition, I like nothing better than a pipe and a game of chess. But Wilma would have irritated an angel. And now she's gone. Evaporated into thin air. That's very convenient, isn't it? Now you can have all the peace and the quiet you want. I have already told you, Sergeant. After an especially bitter quarrel last night, she left me. Packed a bag, told me she had saved $3,000 from the household money, and was going far, far away. I would never hear from her again, she said, as I wasn't worth giving a second thought to. Uh, What time was this? Oh, about 8 p.m. 8 p.m., huh? Then how did Mr. Traber next door happen to hear her scream at midnight? Why, that blasted gossip. Does he say he heard Wilma scream last midnight? He swears it under oath. Well, he's thinking of the night before last. Wilma had a little habit of screaming at me just as I was dozing off. Just to see me jump. Uh Uh-huh. Well, he says he heard a scream. He went to the window. 
He saw you and your wife silhouetted against the living room curtains. You were throttling her. Oh. Fred Treber's imagination is running out of control. He may have seen something like that two nights ago. Now, I, I had to help Wilma get her necklace unclasped. It, it might have looked to a pop-eyed gossip like Fred Treber as if I was strangling her. Oh, boy, you certainly have a lot of slick answers. The truth is always the best. All answer. right, then answer this one. How does it happen that at 1 o'clock this morning, one hour after Mr. Treber saw you choke your wife, both the Trebers saw you drag a trunk out the back door, around to the side of the house, and then heard you digging. They claim that. That's why we have the warrant. That's why we're digging up your place. When a man's wife screams, when he's seen choking her, when he's then seen burying something, and she can't be found, brother, we know we have a murder on our hands. Sergeant, I stand upon my rights as a citizen and a taxpayer. If you prefer to believe loose-tongued gossips like the Trebers rather than me, well, that's up to you. Right, now, listen to me, Mr. Warren. The evidence proves to me that you killed your wife. We know that your car hasn't been moved since you had it greased and oiled Friday night. So we know you didn't take the body anywhere by car. Very brilliant deduction worthy of Sherlock Holmes. I suppose you checked the mileage on the car with the mileage written on the sticker at the gas station where they greased and oiled it Friday night. We did just that little thing. Two-tenths of a mile from the gas station to here. That's the only difference you meter showed. Besides, since the Trebers spent so much time watching me, they uh, would have seen me drive away. They would have, but you didn't go. Instead, you spent an hour digging. Ah. They say that at 2 o'clock, you reappeared with a shovel and a pick, and you took them inside the house. We found them in the cellar, carefully cleaned. I merely like to take good care of tools. Oh, this is all Fred Treber's imagination. He's heard her scream at me so often, he automatically thought he heard her last night. <laughs> you know, frankly, Fred is a very muddle-headed man. He, he can't even play a decent game of chess. He tells a straight story, and I believe him. Oh, I imagine if his wife Rhoda would do him a good turn and leave him as Wilma left me, he might straighten up. Basically, he's not a bad chap. But next to my Wilma, his wife is the prize harpy in town. Don't try to change the subject. You have a $10,000 life insurance policy on your wife, yes, right? Yes, yes, and I do not intend to try to cash it. After all, she just walked away and left me. Oh, you're smart. You're really smart. But we're going to get you. Now, obviously, this killing was done in the heat of passion. You didn't have any plans ready for getting rid of your wife. So her body has to be on the premises somewhere. Well, there's a nice vacant lot about three blocks away. Suppose I carried her over there and interred her quietly with no ceremony. No, no, no. I can't see you carrying a dead woman three blocks. This town has too many people around, even at night. You couldn't risk it even if you had the nerve. You buried her right here on your own grounds where you could pick the spot and keep your eye on it. Well, it's certainly nice to know what I did. It saves straining my memory. Amateurs like you, when they kill their wives, they don't... Sergeant, don't wives ever kill husbands? Or have you a prejudice against husbands? When one kills the other, he or she generally buries the dead partner right on the premises. That's a matter of statistics. And consequently, my grounds now look as if someone has been hunting for buried treasure. Some of the trenches outside are four feet deep. Now, we'll go to six feet if we have to. If you think you can get away with a thing like this... Excuse me, Sergeant. What is it, Johnson? Well, we didn't seem to be getting any place in the cellar, and I had an idea. All right, an idea. Come on, spill Well, you it. know, we examined the car, but we didn't take it out of the garage. And that garage has a dirt floor. A dirt floor. Well, what are you waiting for? Come on! We'll push that car out and get that garage floor dug up. Sergeant, Wait! 
I protest. Sergeant! He's gone. A hyperthyroid type, if I ever saw one. He should be careful. Someday he'll have a heart attack. Yes, who is it? It's me, Fred Treber. Just a moment. Hello, Charlie. Uh, I don't suppose you feel much like talking to me, do you? I certainly don't. After all, it's you who started all this, you and your wild stories. Oh, no, please don't be angry, Charlie. It was really Rhoda who called the police this morning when you said your wife was... Well, gone. Personally, I'm sure there's a natural explanation for everything. You're sure, you're sure. Meanwhile, will you just look at my grounds? Will you look at my lovely flower beds? I have you to thank for this destruction of years of patient effort. Honestly, it was Rhoda. Uh, you know what she's like. I told her Wilma is always screaming, and if you felt like burying a trunk in the middle of the night, that was strictly your business, and we shouldn't be nosy. You're the one who said he heard Wilma scream. You're the one who said he saw me choking her. What you need, Fred, is a good psychiatrist. Oh, now, that's unfair, Charlie. That's really unfair. I came over here hoping we could make up and, and still be friends. You, Warren, you and the door there. Kindly step around here, my friend. You're speaking to me, Sergeant. Nobody else. So you uh, thought you could fool us, eh? Well, we found it. Found what, may I ask? First, we found loose soil underneath your car in the garage. Oil-stained dirt. That was very clever, staining the ground with oil and parking your car directly above it. What'd you do that for, Charlie? Be quiet, Fred. Sergeant, uh... Would you please explain what you're leading up to? I'm telling you that we found the trunk you buried. Now, you watch us dig it out and open it. And try to think of some fancy explanation for what we're going to find inside that trunk. Loosen that end a little more. That's it. All right, Johnson. You and Briggs looked her out by the handles. Okay, Sarge. We're getting it. Come on, Briggs. Gee. Gee. Charlie, why on earth did you drag that trunk out and bury it here in your garage last night? For reasons I considered good and proper. And a good neighbor would have kept his mouth shut. Oh, I wish you'd believe me it was all Rhoda's fault. I don't care what you bury. Uh, there you are, Sarge. There's the trunk. Well, Mr. Warren, what have you got to say now? Simply that I consider this whole affair an outrage. If I want to bury a worn-out old trunk, that is my privilege. But it isn't your privilege to put your wife into it first. Okay, Johnson, get it open. I protest that is my private property you're going to damage. Johnson, put the point of the pick under the lid. Okay, Sarge, here she goes. She's open, Sarge. Well, go ahead. Lift the lid. Oh, really, Charlie? I, I know your wife was making your life miserable, but wasn't this a little drastic? Oh, shut up. There. See? There's nothing in it, Sarge. Yo, imbecile, lift out the top tray. She's naturally underneath it. Okay, okay. Uh-oh. Look at this. Oh, my goodness, Charlie. So that's what you did. Now I understand. Dolls. A dozen dolls and a great big teddy bear. 
Oh, no, no, no. She's got to be underneath them. Dump them out. Make sure. You couldn't bear to keep them around. Isn't that it, Charlie? Please, Fred, shut up. Nothing. Nothing, Sarge. Absolutely nothing. Just 12 fancy dolls and a big teddy bear. That's what he buried in his trunk. All right, Mr. Warren. Now, just why did you bury a trunk full of dolls and a teddy bear in your garage at one in the morning, huh? Well, I should think it would be obvious. You see, after she walked out on him, he couldn't bear having them around anymore. Uh, we're forbidden to incinerate things in this city, so he buried them to get them out of sight. Isn't that it, Charlie? Fred, I can speak for myself. However, Sergeant, it happens to be true. See, Wilma never had children. Instead, she lavished sickening affection on these dolls. She talked to them. She, she told them what a worm I was, and she pretended they sympathized with her. Well, after she left me, I, I had to get rid of them to be rid of her. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. You're lying. You gotta be. And yet I can't prove it. I just can't prove it. Hey, Sergeant, I got an idea. What is it, Johnson? Well, now, look, suppose he buried the trunk for a decoy. A decoy? Yeah, suppose there's something else deep down under it. Now, we were supposed to find the trunk, and, and then... And then we were supposed to stop digging. Johnson, you got it. Dig some more. Six feet, eight feet if you have to. Okay, Sergeant. And you, Briggs, you and the other men, dig up those other flower beds. She could be under them. Sergeant, I forbid it. And dig deep. Charlie, as long as your dahlias are being dug up anyway, would you care to trade a few of your Gordon Pinks for some of my Amber Goliaths? Fred Treber, never speak to me again. We have played our last game of chess together. Please don't say that. I love our chess game. They are finished. Our friendship is finished. Now I am going in the house. I refuse to watch the sergeant and his men commit vandalism on my helpless flowers. Come in. No, you, sergeant. Well, what have you found now? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. A whole day of digging, we just have a trunk full of dolls. Are you prepared to believe now that Wilma just walked out on me taking $3,000 she saved from the household money? I don't know what to believe. I'm just sure you didn't take her any place in the car and you didn't carry her any place, so she's got to be here, right here still. But if you can't find her, you must be incompetent. Isn't that what you're really saying? No, blast it! I know my business! If I can't find her... Well, maybe your story is true. This isn't easy, but uh, I apologize, Mr. Warren. I will accept your apology on one condition. That you undo all the damage, fill in all the holes, and restore my garage, lawn, and gardens to their former condition or as nearly as possible. We'll do that. We'll do that. It's quitting time today, but tomorrow a crew from the city building and grounds the pile will be over to fill up all the holes. And take away that trunk full of abominable dolls and burn them. We'll do that. You know, uh, in a way, I hardly blame you. For what, may I ask? For whatever you did. If you did it. Any woman who would talk to a bunch of dolls and tell them her husband was a no-good crumb has got something coming to her. Well, good night, Mr. Warren, and uh, no hard feelings, huh? 
I only wish I knew what you really did with her. Uh, just a minute. Oh, it's you again, Fred. Yes, I waited till Rhoda was sound asleep. You're sure she won't wake up? She took one of her sleeping pills, and it's a nice dark night. Sort of foggy. Well, in that case, we might as well get it over with. Oh. Hey, it is dark out, isn't it? Yes. I can hardly see you. That's what we want, isn't it? Follow me. I can find my way around in the dark. I'm right behind you. You know, Fred, I uh, I think you rather overdid things this morning. Oh, I was just trying to seem like the simple-minded neighbor and keep the cops suspicious so they'd go on digging the way you wanted them to. Well, here we are. I'll unlock the door. Come on inside. Quick. Now we can risk using my penlight. This tool shed of mine hasn't any windows. I know. That's why I suggested it. Here we are. A little light. Oh, there she is, Charlie. Just as natural as life. <sighs> Hello, Wilma. Having a good rest in that wheelbarrow? Uh, do, you, do you have to talk to her? It's sort of macabre. Well, that's the only time I've ever been able to speak to her when she couldn't yell back at me. <laughs> you see, Fred, I told you it would work. If I hid her in your tool shed, they would search my property. But you were the one who informed on me, so naturally they'd never think of searching your property. It worked out just the way you said it would. It's a dream of a scheme, Charlie. Oh, I had to do it. I couldn't stand life with Wilma any longer. Now, this is what we're going to do. The police left a hole almost seven feet deep in my garage. Now, we'll put her there. Then we'll put in a lot of dirt. Tomorrow, the building and grounds crew will just find a hole and finish filling it for me. <laughs> She'll be gone forever. And one place the police will never, never search again is the place they have already dug up. Oh, it's sheer <laughs> genius. But do we really have to wait a whole year before I can try it, too? Oh, oh, we certainly do, Fred. We certainly do. That was my idea, and you agreed to wait a full year, at least. Oh. You see, then the sergeant can come over and dig up your place while your wife is in my basement. <laughs> He'll dig and dig and dig. <laughs> Charlie. 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 Charles. Charles. Wake up, Charles. Wake up. Uh, uh, Oh, well, well, what is it? You were having a nightmare. Uh, you were calling out, dig, 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 and uh, laughing insanely. Oh. Oh, yeah. So I was. I, I, I was dreaming about... about my garden. Your garden. <laughs> well, I've made up my mind. All those flowers are coming up, and I'm going to plant some real nice evergreen shrubbery like the treebers have. Wilma, you wouldn't. I certainly would. I'm sick of the time and money you spend on those silly flowers. And you better get up if you don't want to be late for work again. <sighs> a dream. It was all just a dream, but it seemed so real. As if it had actually happened. As if it had actually 
happened. Yes. This is Charlie. Charlie? This time of the morning? What is it? Fred, I have to talk to you. Privately. Meet me for lunch. I've just had an idea. A scheme. You could even call it a dream of a scheme. presented A Dream of a Scheme, written by Robert Arthur and directed by Ted Bell. In the cast, Elliot Reed, Arlene Walker, Ralph Bell, John McGovern, and Jack Hurdle. Audio engineer, Neil Pulse. Sound technician, Ed Blaney. Script editor, Jack C. Wilson. Original music by Alexander Vlasdotsenko. Orchestra under the direction of Glenn Osser. Executive producer for Theater 5, Ted Bell. We invite your comments. Write to Theater 5, New York 23, New York. That's Theater 5, New York 23, New York. This is Fred Foy speaking. has been an ABC Radio Network production. Fun fact. According to research done by the CDC analyzing homicides of American women from 2003 to 2014, it was found that 93% of women murdered during that time were killed by a current or former romantic partner. About a third of the time, the couple had argued right before the homicide took place. That's not a statistic from the 50s and 60s, that's from this decade and the last. The episode you just heard, A Dream of a Scheme, was produced by Theater 5, a production company owned by ABC. Theater 5 was ABC's attempt to revive radio drama during the mid-1960s. It lasted about a year. But in that year, they were able to produce almost 300 episodes by broadcasting in a shorter 20-minute format every weekday. The results were simplified, streamlined plot lines aimed at capturing the reduced attention spans of the modern, hyper-stimulated American. Thank you for listening to Domestic Affairs. Until next time, I'm your host, Nicholas Harder. And with each other we're sympathizing Looking at the happy sweethearts While they sit around and spoon there's two lonesome people in the whole wide world That's me and the man in the moon